Good day, and welcome back to another episode of the Marix Mespresso. Today is all about frost, and I can't think of anybody I'd rather have on the pod than Neil Rosser, who joins us today uh, with a wealth of 30 years experience in coffee, uh, working and heading up the divisions of many industry titans, uh, and is currently uh, a director of Bison Luxley. I'd also hold Neil up as being a researcher that builds conclusions on data and uses the data to do the talking. Neil, welcome to the show. Well, good day, sir. Hope everyone is well and uh, not too cold where they are. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a great opening line. I like that. Um, so, hey, let, let's, let, let's kick it off. I mean, you know, I feel like yeah, we've got a countdown here. You know, tomorrow the temperatures drop. So uh, I feel like... Um, we need to kind of, uh, the pressure is on us to speak. Mm-hmm. So the first on, the first question on my list really is, you know, uh, let's talk about uh, the damage that frost actually does to the tree. You know, what does it do on, on a cellular level? We all talk about, and we've all seen pictures of destroyed plantations and, uh, and the impact on people's livelihoods as a result. But talk to us about what ha- actually happens within the trees from the, from the leaves all the way through to the branches and trunk. Well, it's very simple. It's um, the form- formation of ice crystals within the cell breaks the cell wall and <laughs> obviously kills that cell. So you have, um, you know, lethal damage uh, to tissues. Um, and the, the damage really isn't that much different between a, a bark cell or a, sorry, a stem cell or a, a branch cell or a bud cell or a, a leaf cell. The only thing is the size of the protective wall around the particular uh, tissue. So, with for instance, as is obvious, within a within a branch cell, the, the, the cell wall is much thicker. So, the temperature has to be colder for longer to cause that ice crystal to form. And also remember that what you're looking at is not within the cell is not pure water it's uh, like a almost like a yeah a salt salt mixture so actually it can take a little bit of time with the temperature below zero before it it, it actually crystallizes and breaks the cell wall it's it's very much similar that you put salt outside your front door <laughs> if it's very cold to stop yourself slipping over so the leaves are the most vulnerable simply and and the new leaves in particular simply because the 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 concentration of extra things in the water is 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 less and also the cell wall is thinner so it's always the leaves that kind of um have the first damage but the it depends on the extent of the uh, of the how cold it is and how long that cold lasts before it penetrates into the other tissues within that tree. Okay, so interesting. So coming out of 2021 crop in Brazil, uh, it was a fantastic bumper crop, relative good prices, and we saw farmers, uh, you know, do what is, is is usual in these situations, and we saw plentiful pruning, stumping, grafting, all in preparation of this 22-23, which leads me to the, the, the conclusion that perhaps we had a, a higher juvenile population of trees and if, if I'm listening to you correctly, you know, uh, kind of more exposed young trees closer to the ground, cooler temperatures. From this, is it is it right or wrong to form a conclusion saying that we p- perhaps have felt the frost more because of the way the trees were treated in 2021? 
I think I hesitate to make too many <laughs> categorical <laughs> statements when I'm sitting a thousand miles away from the coffee area. But what you do know is there's been a, a string of extraordinary events in Brazil. The, um, for a start, we had the dry weather in September after the flowering, which was um, devastating for the fixing of, the, of that flowering. Then we have, we've actually had drier than normal weather probably from January through to May, which in itself has an impact. And yeah. are you able to just, just to reveal for, for listeners uh, who perhaps weren't on your, 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 your excellent shows or excellent um, uh, videos beforehand, what your num numbers were roughly before the drought and after the drought, so just to give it. No, if anyone wants those numbers, they, I think, I think we have to, they can, they can come and <laughs> talk to us direct. Absolutely. No, fair enough. Absolutely. So do, do carry on. Um, yeah, so what we saw coming into 21-22, and you have to understand the economics of farming in Brazil these days, which is basically that labour is very expensive. Fertiliser costs are obviously expensive. And, and to really make a, a crop pay, you've got to have fantastic yields. Yields that in the past would have been acceptable aren't acceptable anymore. So a farmer has to make a, a decision at some stage if, if the if the if the crop isn't going to be there then you can then you stump the tree down or you even replant the tree because yeah if you're not going to get a crop that, that that pays then there's no point paying the harvest costs so clearly there has been more stumping and more replanting in brazil at this moment yeah uh, that was okay. Okay. And now the next point, which I want to touch on, because, you know, this is the one thing guys like me, I, I'm, I'm in my thirties and, and, you know, have the experience I have. The one thing I don't have experience in is how the market and how things have traded in the past during a frost incident. And, you know, I, I know talking around the market has been quite tough to find guys with that wealth of experience. So, you know, when this first happened, I thought, geez, you know, who can I speak to? There was um, an ex-colleague of mine, but also a, um, also you, sir, are, you know, the first, one of the first people that came to mind. So talk us through what happened in 94. Uh, give us a glimpse into how the balance sheet looked at the time. And, and I mean, I mean, I remember like one of the keys was the, the ICO um, had disintegrated, what, five years ago. So there, there was supposed to be quite a wealth of stocks around helping this sort of situation. But you were able to give us any more color? Um, yeah, as far as uh, my memory goes, um, the, the problem with frost is obviously they're so far apart that uh, sometimes you lose the paperwork and, uh, <laughs> and your memories. But no, I, I remember very well that the first thing to remember about 1994 is it wasn't one event. Now, very similar to today, um, there were actually two frosts, one on June the 25th, and it was followed by another frost on uh, July the 7th. So in that sense, it was different from uh, the, the, the other frost I remember, uh, of 1975, which is probably the biggest frost ever, which was just one night and more or less destroyed the whole of the Brazil uh, uh, coffee uh, plantations in Paraná. So it, it, it was there was two waves of it, if you like. Um, and the first wave, I think we were at the time, uh, the, the market before the the frost was 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 around one one twenty cents a pound. Um, so so on June the twenty seventh, I actually I knew you would ask this, so I looked this up. On <laughs> June the twenty second, uh, New York was was around one twenty seven cents a pound. By July the first, it 
was 204 cents a pound. And by the 15th, it was 243 cents a pound and on the second month. What I remember, uh, what surprises me I haven't seen this time is the sheer hysteria. The market was absolutely going up, limit up day after day. And there was real, you, you felt that whiff of hysteria through the market. And yes, we've had rises, but I never felt quite the same um, panic that you saw then. And that surprises me because in many ways, what we're seeing is just as serious and arguably even more serious. But um, there, there was definite, definite, yeah, hysteria on the New York market, which, as I said, we, we haven't really seen this time. Um, you also have to understand that uh, I think, you know, the weather forecasting wasn't as good. It wasn't, um, you know, the, the same knowledge as there is is now. So maybe that explains some of the uh, more extreme reactions. But the, the other thing you have to remember is that there was a hell of a lot more stock around. I mean, that is different. I mean, the, the, I, will I haven't got the exact figure, but I, I would imagine... And my numbers would show that the Brazil total stock in Brazil was well over 20 million bags at the time, wow. going towards maybe 25 million bag carryover. Yeah. Also, the government themselves would have stock because of the, um, you know, it was much less free market system. Therefore, the government had intervened to keep prices high within the Brazil market. Therefore, they were the government itself was carrying stock, something like. In 97, the, the government had over 13 million bags worth of stocks. So th there was much more coffee around the world. I would also say, in a way, that Brazil was, if you like, less important. Remember, it was the time when Colombia was developing as well. Central America was strong. In, in a way, what we've seen over the last 20 years or so is, is because of the efficiency of Brazilian farming. The roasters have concentrated on Brazil because it's just been so cheap. And so, but in terms of quality and price, then Reliable. Brazil, you know, in terms of Arabica, is a fantastic bargain. And obviously, you can't get all qualities out of Brazil. You know, you need Colombian. But the multinational blend now is based on Brazil and Vietnam and to, to, to a lesser extent, Colombia. So... If you like, the roaster has put all his eggs in one basket. Um, and inevitably, everyone forgets about the possibility of climate disasters in Brazil and the frost. And this year, we've seen, we've had two extraordinary events. And um, mm. we are in a situation where, where it's difficult to, to see how you can replace Brazil. So let me pull it back to the comparison again, because I also want to follow this on with a little bit, you know, of a banish chat. So 1994, huge stocks in uh, destination. I understand there was huge hidden stocks as well. Uh, and we obviously had a bad frost, five, six, I, I can't remember how many million bags it was. And, uh, you know, a market rally to 240 plus. <laughs> now, this time we've come out of a, uh, a drought, uh, which has affected the 22-23 branch development that we saw back in March-April. Uh, we had a drought anyway back in October-November, which impacted the 21-22, drove that off-cycle steeper. 
Um, and we were flirting with a structural deficit for the 22-23 if we did not see recovery in the tree and we've just wiped off five, six million bags. Mm-hmm. So we have what looks like an incredibly tight balance sheet, which has just got a whole lot tighter, whatever Brazil number you're using for 22-23. Mm-hmm. And we're not trading anywhere near as dramatically as we were in, in previously. And I mean, the one point which we probably shouldn't talk too much here is obviously the change in the growth and demand dynamics as we mm-hmm. ease lockdowns around the world and, and consumption normalizes. All of this stuff sounds like a, a little bit of a tinderbox, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think you've said it quite well. I mean, I don't know why I can add to that. The other thing I would add that going back to 1994 is that the certified stocks in New York were over 5 million bags before mm. the start of the, uh, the event. Uh, and got drawn down quite rapidly. Um, yeah, what's the answer? I, I, I also you have to look at different structures as well. There was the trade in nineteen ninety four was much stronger, and the, the market in in a sense some some of the big firms, you know, the, the Philip Brothers, the Louis Dreyfus, the Cargill was in there at the time, wasn't it? Could could really determine what happened in the market much more. Than now, where obviously we see that the fund influence has as much more important. So maybe it's a factor of the 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 people people knew the market, knew what was happening in Brazil, and and were prepared prepared more to trade on coffee fundamentals in a way that's not possible now, where the trade is much much weaker. Okay, interesting. So okay, let's let's take this through to then the current day. Then, um, what do you think? from your guys on the ground at Bison Luxley, um, what do you think is, is, has happened recently? Do you have any estimates that you're prepared to talk on in here? I, I understand if not, you know, it's more of a case that people need to reach out to you. But what have you seen so far uh, this time around in this frost? No, clearly there's been a major event. I mean, in the past, we, we weren't even sort of going forward. There's been an event. I uh, No, again, I won't give out numbers. I would say that the trade estimates seem to vary between four and six, but six million bags. Um, we, we saw uh, Canab in Brazil saying that 11% of the coffee area was affected, which is not necessarily 11% drop in production, but 11% of the area has been affected. We've also seen the CNC in Brazil yesterday saying that maybe that was 20% after their analysis. So there's a major event. There's no doubt. What surprised me was how far north it went. We have talk of damage in the Sahado, which, uh, you know, is quite far north in, in a way. You should. So there's been a major event. There's no doubt about that. It looks to me that there's been extensive burning of coffee on the leaves, which we talk the damage to leaves. Um, and so we... In a way, it's a bit early, but but yeah, uh, you, you cannot dismiss this. This this is a, something that's that that we're going to have to live with. And and as you say, maybe it's going to be over the next two to three years. It depends how farmers react. I, I think a lot of the trees will be stumped down if the damage is major. You you really have to cut your losses and and, and cut the tree down. So that brings me on to the next question, really. So, you know, you are a Brazilian coffee farmer. You're looking out over, you know, what looks like a decimated plantation of varying degrees, because, you know, we've seen 
we've seen literally half the plantation affected and half not affected. What is your thought process and how is it driven now when you look over your plantation? You know, if you're looking at some of the less affected trees, what do you do? If you're looking at some of the worst affected trees, what do you do? Um, you know, and what drives that decision, especially over time? You know, I keep on hearing people saying, oh, you, we won't notice the flowering. Uh, you know, we won't notice the rains. Why, why is that, Neil? Sorry, I didn't get the last point. So the last point being, like, there is, uh, you know, discussions in the market saying, well, we won't know the true effect of the frost until we see the flowering, which is obviously uh, later on in the year. Um, and we were obviously, you know, we'd have to wait for the rains for that. Why, why is it that people are saying that that is the point at which we will truly know the effect? I, I think you shouldn't confuse the dry weather and the frost. I mean, they are two different things. But well, no, I think the first point to make is it's so easy to get carried away <laughs> with the excitement of the market and, and, uh, and, you know, discussing numbers. But we have to remember that there's a poor, poor people sitting in Brazil looking at their livelihoods being taken away. So I think whenever we talk about the futures, we have to remember that because wherever the price goes, if you've got no crop, then, then you've got no income. So the, I'm sure the government will bring in support, but, but we have to remember that there's people who are going to be feeling real losses. But it's a complicated equation, and you would sit there and you've got to figure out, basically, uh, how, how, much is, how much have you lost on, on a particular tree? How much is it going to cost you in terms of labour costs, in terms of fertiliser costs, to, to bring that tree through to harvest with, with a much smaller crop? And then you've got to work out, well, look at the price. Is it worth doing it because the price is so high? But if, if the damage is too severe, then basically you're going to lose all your leaves. You end up with a stick by September. So, you know, you've Leave got no chance. Back, you think? Over the next, is there any chance of that regrowth? Well, there will be some areas where that's true, but that's not the whole area. Other places, you've got to figure, well, do I, you will have to prune out the, the bad, the injured areas, if you like. That could be, there's many forms of stumping. It could be very light stumping where you do get some crop or, or a more vigorous stumping where you get a, get a smaller crop. There, there, there's a lot of factors to consider that you can only really judge if you're on the ground, if you are that farmer. And probably there is some truth that you probably wait till September to see exactly what the tree is looking like. So touching back to the balance sheet stuff we looked at beforehand, we have high prices, well, relatively high prices, certainly compared to where they were 17, 18. The natural progression of the market going looking forward is to say, well, what are the marginal differences we can make up outside of Brazil from other Arabica producing countries, given the high prices to help to solve this kind of structural deficit that coffee slipped into? Um, and do you think that is enough to, 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 to fix it? coffee isn't a machine you can't just turn it on after having turned it off for the last four or five years yeah you can get a bit more out but the idea the structural problems in central america can be solved overnight is isn't 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 viable isn't feasible yes it will encourage people i'm sure to plant more look after their trees more but it, as i said it's not a machine you can turn off and on it, it takes time with coffee um, so yeah, there will. I'm sure there will be 
more production, but nowhere close enough to, to really make up the Brazil deficit. And I said, that's again, the, the products of, uh, of the market and roaster preferences over the last 10 years that can't be adjusted overnight. Brazil has become, you know, at times the only thing in, in, the, in the world of Arabica, so that's a, an exaggeration, but become incredibly important, particularly over the last year after the bumper crop um, in, in um, 2021. So it's a difficult thing to, to know how this can be handled. Okay. All right. So by the sounds of it, it doesn't seem there's any light at the end of the tunnel. And in fact, uh, it, it sounds like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that coffee's looking for demand destruction in order to solve it rather than finding marginal gains from, from other countries. Well, there's um, the certified stocks, of course. I mean, there, 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 yeah. there is coffee. Um, and maybe they can adjust their blends. But it's a huge I mean, problem. I think it is a huge problem for everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think kind of with the heavy pruning systems, then you, you are waiting two to three years before the, the plant comes back. That, that was exactly my next point, actually. I had a, a chat with a very good friend and uh, ex-boss of mine the other day who'd been in the market for a long time. And he said something similar. He was like, look, don't negate the impact on 2324 uh, from events like this, which, which I found quite surprising. I'm not sure if you have anything else to, to, to kind of any well, more light shine on that. It depends on the, the, as I said, it depends on that farmer and how he decides to react. If he decides to, that really the, the tree's gone and he has to stump it down, then yeah, two to three years. But, but with some of the lighter pruning systems, yeah, it, one to two years. But, yeah, it, your, your, your ex-boss was completely right. Uh, mm. there, there will be impacts going forward. That There is no doubt. The size of the impact, I, as I said, I'm not in Brazil at this point in time, and it's very early to say. Okay, so finally then, and this is also incredibly important given the timing, um, we're recording this uh, on the – the Thursday before a Friday when temperatures are, are supposed to hit sub-zero temperatures across the coffee belt again. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Neil, to know your thoughts on, on tomorrow and, and what you're seeing and the models you're looking at. And uh, if you think this is more or less than what we've already been through. I'm not a meteorologist. I've been reading a lot. Uh, I've read enough forecasts to drive me dizzy over the last week. Um, <laughs> and I'm still not sure I got anywhere. Yeah. All I can really say, so. <laughs> I think, one, we have to... Uh, well, I will also say that people didn't forecast Tuesday's frost too well. And mm. I understand. You have to see the difficulty of this because basically you're talking about a blanket of cold air. There's lots of little micro factors. The amount of wind... In, in the night, the level of cloud cover that will affect it, that can change it. You know, a couple of degrees can make a huge difference. Um, but all I know, and it's clear to me, is that there is a probability of, of a huge event. And I can't say it's going to happen because we're just talking probabilities, but this is not over, and I'm certainly not going to be thinking of going to bed too early on a, <laughs> or, you know, I'm going to be getting up early Friday morning and Saturday morning just to see what's going on. But sure. there is a, this cannot be ignored. And uh, we, we have to wait till Monday to see, but 
yeah, that there is a bit, there is a probability there for sure. Neil Rosser, Bison Luxley, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for being able to give us such insight into the history, the development, the trees, everything. I, I feel like this has been almost uh, like a, an encyclopedia of knowledge you've been able to share with the market. So thank you so much for that. Um, and also thank you to our key clearing and execution clients. It's so you guys that help us to be able to run these podcasts. And um, if you like it, this podcast, please do share it and uh, enjoy your day. We look forward to hearing back from all of you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk. You know, it's the old saying, uh, the old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. But uh, it certainly keeps <laughs> it <away>. yeah? <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah. Plenty of that at the moment. <laughs> All right, Neil. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Ciao. Bye. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Marex entity to the listener. Marex, nor any of its subsidiaries or affiliates, makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements, or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Marex, and Marex is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Marex to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Marex entity.